You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. Our current serial is of knives and night blooms. Definitely a novel now, certainly longer than I expected. Uh, The story of this particular volume uh, will end when they reach Phoenix Burning. I was expecting them to reach it a while ago. (laughs) Let's just say that uh, the, the steps getting towards the city and the end of this part of the story are getting smaller and smaller, but they are making progress. So today we have Chapter 24, On the Left Bank of the Court of Miracles. Why would I need a tattoo? Calix protested, as Marty hustled her along a makeshift corridor that hung in canvas and rope between one of the pontoon temples of the Court of Miracles and another. Along the way, they passed booths and stalls all selling arcane jewellery, charms and herbal remedies. It's a tradition, Mardi replied. It's one of the oldest forms of magic. If you want to find your way back to Nimue, the ink speakers are your answer. Ink speakers, Reynard muttered behind them, easily keeping up with his long legs. They're barely even priests. Not everyone useful is a priest, Marty said, looking lighter than she had in the whole time Calix had known her. I've been meaning to come here myself, she added. It's good luck for a coming child to ink the first letter of their name on your skin. Oh, said Calix, only half joking. So this is your errand. Marty's eyes flashed. I believe in this, Calix. If Nimue can be found, we'll find her. Calix ached for her daughter. I don't want to leave the river if she's... part of it? It seemed impossible. But she felt Nimue's presence in the water. She did. She had not realised how much magic was contained in her daughter until she was gone, but now she could feel her everywhere. Mardi stomped one foot on the canvas bridge. The river is still beneath our feet. We won't go far. Calix's shaven head and bright white stemmer drew eyes everywhere as they crossed the left bank of the Court of Miracles. At Mardi's suggestion, she'd added a silk shawl to cover her arms from the bright sunshine, but it did not stop the staring. No one approached them, which probably had more to do with Mardi's feather brace than anything. The locals knew a priest of death when they saw one. Finally, they reached a bright red houseboat, covered in a wide tarpaulin, covered in familiar designs, night blooms, drawn in that same thick-lined style as the marks that had flowered on the skin of Icaros, Valeria, Mardi and Dio when she laid her bond upon them. Calix still did not know why her magic had manifested in that particular shape, to that particular flower. Servants she pulled under her bond usually wore a gentler mark, the soft pink outline of a single petal, near their wrist or ring finger. It didn't pay to be more intrusive than you had to be. Ahoy the ink leaf, 
Marty called as she stepped on board. Anyone home? A handsome, long-legged man covered in red and gold tattoos emerged from within. He wore a burnt orange tunic over baggy green sailor pants, brighter clothes than Calix was used to around here. A bird wing, brighter red than the other art on his skin, covered his chest, spread wide across his clavicle. Dear heart, he said warmly, embracing Marty with such enthusiasm that Reynard, behind Calix, let out an impatient huff. Look at you, you're enormous. Ready to name that child of yours? Ready to commit to a first letter at least, said Marty, smiling all over her face. Calix, this is Yane, abbot of the Blazing Phoenix. Another kind of priest, after all, not of death or healing. Calix remembered that the phoenix represented art and creativity. She wondered what it meant that the nearby city was named as it was. Phoenix Burning was to be her home soon, and she knew so little about it. The ink speaker looked Calix over thoughtfully, then dipped his head in something like a bow. Petal, he said, aren't you magnificent? His gaze slipped past to Reynard, and he smirked a little. Beau! Finally going to let me mark you up? Not today, grated Reynard. You win some, you lose some. Yane turned back to Calix, eyeing her bare arms. Always happy to meet a new canvas. She has a lost child to find, put in Marty. Ah, that's less happy news, the ink speaker said with some sympathy. Lucky for you, I'm the best in the business. Let's have a look at you. It can't be that simple, said Calix a short while later. Marty and Reynard were waiting for her on the deck, as she consulted with Yane in some degree of privacy. Privacy enough, at least, that she was willing to remove her stemmer and silks, show him more of her skin than she'd ever bared for a stranger. Apart from Icaros, she remembered with a shiver. You write her name on my arm, and that's enough to bring her back to me. It's not nearly that simple. Yane circled her, and she could feel his eyes on the scars that marked up her back. I see you have your own experience with words on your skin. Family illness, Calix said shortly. It causes lines of poetry to appear on your skin in times of upheaval. If such a thing were common, it would put me out of business, Yane said, in a tone that sounded teasing enough, though there was a wary undercurrent. My mother died of it. I'm sorry to hear that, he said, as if he said such a thing ten times a day. But it's not an illness, my dear. That sounds like a curse. Does it matter what we call it? I've had the lines incised from my skin by a surgeon whenever I can. The trouble with poetry, you can't always tell how long it will be. But if you don't catch it early... My mother died with a completed sonnet on her the back of her thigh. It took half a year to appear, one line at a time. You are a wonder, said Yane. 
and his fingertip shivered against the most recent of Calix's scars. I want to stare at your back until the next words appear. I'm hoping it'll be years before that happens, she said tartly. You'll be living nearby, though, if you're to marry our treasure. How did you know that? You're a legend, my dear. Stories have been flooding down the river of your exploits. Our royal bride come to heal the kingdom with her flowers and her magic. He whipped around her, eyes fixed on hers. Promise me, next time you find a line of poetry on your skin, bring it to me, not those butchers of the bright owl. And will you keep me alive, Calic said, or study me like an exhibit? I'm very talented, said the priest of the blazing phoenix, eyes dancing at her. I can do both things. First things first, let's find your daughter. Five letters traced on her forearm, spelling out her daughter's name in pale grey linework. Nimoy. Blue, I think, said the ink speaker. If she's at one with the river. Green, murmured Calix, thinking of the eye of the basilisk. As you like. It was still ink at this stage. No needles brought into play, an outline to work with. I thought you didn't believe in that part of the story, said Calix, leaning back into his soft chair. Sitting down had been a mistake. Sleep was calling her home. Had she properly slept since she first set foot in this kingdom? Since she first started her long pilgrimage down the River Divine? Calix was exhausted, and she'd barely got started. Everything will change at Phoenix Burning. I believe everything my clients tell me, said Yane. That's what makes the miracles work. Needles darted in a light, compelling dance across Calix's skin. It didn't hurt, not exactly. It felt like something she could sink into and forget. Voices murmured behind her, Mardi and Reynard, furious at each other. She shouldn't listen, she supposed, but she felt outside herself as the sharp rhythm of the tattoo needle pressed into her arm. Nothing to do but float away. How could you do it? demanded the male voice. That's what I don't understand. Do what? the female voice replied on the edge of something dangerous. Icarus. <laughs> don't knock it until you've tried it. He's very good. Buzz longed for a family. You were supposed to love him. You threw yourself at Icarus the moment he was dead. You let him give you a child. This is Boz's child. And mine. I can count months, Mardi. I don't owe you an explanation. No, don't pull that face. I don't. Still, I do want my child to know you, if you can restrain yourself from being a colossal asshole by the time she gets here. So here's the short version. 
Boaz and I took Icarus to our bed over a year ago. We couldn't conceive on our own. This was our best chance. A long pause. A silence that stretched. And you still... After Boaz was dead. Why not? I'm still breathing, Reynard. I still want to be a mother. If Boaz hadn't died when he did, this would be our child. We would have retired together, buried finally. I loved your friend for a decade. Would you begrudge me this future? Fuck. Now I do feel like an asshole. Let me be the first to say I told you so. A long pause, and then a longer pause. Marty, I'm sorry. A soft, wry laugh. Oh, don't strain anything. Pour a libation for my baby when she's born, and we'll call it Eve. To our God? <laughs> I don't suppose he gets many of those, does he? Perhaps you should pour one to all five, assuming they're still here by the time she... Calix was not asleep. She lay back, eyes fixed on the red roof of the houseboat, half an ear on the conversation between Marty and Reynard. But she was also elsewhere. She was on the river, half caught by a dream. The water ran underneath her, singing and shivering. She followed its path out to the wide river where the boats came and went, over the city dock, on her way to the palace. The river water spilled up the steps, along the streets, dancing up out of fountains. Calix had seen an oil painting of this city, its palette of orange-red copper glowing off the canvas. Black marble steps, leading up into towers of gold. When she first saw it, she thought, This can't be a real place. Now she was standing in the central court of the palace, at the heart of a deep-stepped amphitheatre. Water ran off every surface, pooled at her feet. Flowers floated on the water, rose petals and cherry blossoms and night blooms. Though it was the middle of the day, sunlight scorched the top of her head as she stood in bright white silks and stemmer, waiting for her bridegroom. He stood with his back to her high on the precipice overlooking the amphitheatre, wearing black, of course, because this was the divine kingdom and they'd never bleached cloth in their lives. He was hooded in a long black royal robe heavy with gold embroidery jewels, a feathered hem that swept the golden tiles. Her terribly young bridegroom, the thirteenth treasure of the divine kingdom, her future. She ran to him barefoot, her feet splashing in water every step of the way. The river was here, even at the heart of the palace, waters rising. At ankle height now, at knee height, the water dragging her down even as she climbed the amphitheatre. Calix's clothes were wet and heavy. She released the stammer, tore off the silks, 
let them be pulled away by the weight of the water. She had nearly reached her bridegroom as the water rose to lap at her chin, at her mouth and nose. She outstretched one arm, grasping at his ankle. The prince turned, looked down at her, a mere boy, with golden paint on his face and a cruel twist to his mouth. She writhed in humiliation as his eyes raked over her nakedness and looked away. The river rose to engulf her. Calix was drowning, and her new husband did nothing to stop it. As her fingers clenched more tightly around his ankle, he kicked her away. Water swept over her head. Hands came around her body, holding her up until she could breathe again, sucking in a lungful of air. A voice growled words into her ear. I've found her. She's safe. She knew that voice. Icarus. Calix gasped, starting away. Her arm burned, but she couldn't feel the needles anymore. Is something wrong? Yane stood over her, staring in dismay at his handiwork. Fuck me. This has never happened before. Calix turned to look at her arm. Green words spilled over her skin, dotted with her own blood. It was not her daughter's name, though the large grey letters were still visible underneath where Yane had traced them. The new tattoo, in deep emerald ink, was six lines of a poem wrapping around her forearm. Down, down among the ghosts of flowers falling, she weeps into the river, who reaches up to hold her hand. Thank you for listening to Sheep Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and continuing custodians of Lutruwita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Instagram, Blue Sky or Threads at TansyRR. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories. A small monthly pledge. See you next week. Mm-hmm.